Does baptism somehow seal your salvation? Does the act of water baptism that we just witnessed complete the transaction for the remission of sins? Okay. Well, the answer is the same one found in answers to other questions, such as, is church membership a requirement for salvation? Is there a particular denomination that you must be a part of in order to be saved? Some churches like the Catholic Church would say that. Well, we can confidently say tonight that the answer is no. Some of you have already said that. But we do want to affirm that basic truth that salvation comes through faith alone, through grace alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not of works, even including the work slash act of baptism. Okay? However, the issue is not settled um, so easily. There are several denominations that teach contrary to this, and they believe just as fervently as you and I about this and their interpretation. Ironically, you think that since we were called Baptists, that we would have baptism elevated to that point. I think Baptists would say baptism is required, but we're Baptists for other reasons. Uh, we do have a few churches in the community, though, that teach this false doctrine. Perhaps you've gotten a letter in the mail over the years. I know we have here at church questioning why we're not teaching this doctrine and questioning why we are allowing people to uh, die and go to hell without being baptized. And so it is not my intention at all to pick on any particular denomination tonight, but I do want you to be aware of the differences because uh, some of the churches in our community, namely the Church of Christ, of course I've already mentioned Catholicism, they do hold to this doctrine and we have students that are interacting with uh, friends at school. They're being invited to conferences and uh, retreats. We have uh, faculty discussions. We have discussions even within uh, our community here at church. And uh, this is an ongoing discussion in our community. In fact, I've heard recently a story where one of our students was in a conversation about this and was able to go to a resource she had in the Apologetics Bible and was able to turn to some of these passages we're going to look at tonight and offer a defense as to why that particular doctrine is mistaken. Uh, so when given the opportunity to preach tonight, I just felt led to spend some time on this subject. And I would like to spend uh, quite a bit of time tonight interacting with various scriptures and hope that it'll just inform you, let you see what the Bible says itself about this important issue. Because it does have eternal consequences. Now, this will be a little bit more of an apologetics type of lesson tonight. Uh, we're going to be going through a lot of scripture. We're going to be seeing what the Word of God itself see, uh, says about this. And my hope and desire is that when you leave here tonight, you will be equipped to engage in this type of conversation. We as believers, we need to rightly divide the Word of God, and we need to be confident in what we believe, and we need to be, we don't have to have all the answers, certainly, but we, we need to be able to go to the Word and be able to defend what we believe, not just because of what our parents say or what the, the preacher says or what our family says, but we need to be able to go to the Word of God and discern what it says about these important issues. So we're going to dig deep in a couple of instances now. I, I hope, and it's my goal, to speak to all of you tonight. 
Okay, I want to try to walk that line between digging deep and not going over your head because I know I have my children here. There's, there's many other children here of all ages up through high school and adults of all different backgrounds. And it's my hope that at least even my children will be able to follow along. But hold on because we're going to go a little deep in a few instances. Now let's start off by creating the tension that's there that creates these misunderstandings. And, and as we do, I want you to think Think about how you would answer this if someone, one of your friends, co-workers, neighbors, somebody in your family, maybe even someone here at church that's, that's mistaken, comes up to you and says, but the Bible says this, okay? Look at Mark 16, 16. Now, I've tried to write as many of the scriptures down in our handout, so we won't have to spend a lot of time flipping back and forth, because as we go through this, you'll want to refer back to some of these verses, but... Uh, we're not going to have any slides other than the title slide tonight, but you'll, you'll have everything you need on this handout. And Mark 16, 16 is one of those go-to verses in defense of this doctrine. And when you, when you read it, it, it can throw you off a little bit. He says, this is Jesus speaking, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Okay? He who has believed and has been baptized, shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. All right, so seemingly tying baptism as essential to salvation. What about Acts chapter 2, verse 38, another go-to passage? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Another verse, seemingly tying baptism directly with salvation. 1 Peter 3.19, in which also he went and made proclamations to the spirits, now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Okay, that's the key verse that they go to. Baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, one more. Acts 22, verse 16. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. All right, so if we look at these four verses and we try to build a systematic theology with these verses and we try to be faithful to the text and the plain reading of the, the text, it does appear that salvation uh, or faith and baptism are contingent to salvation. But when we come to issues like this, I, I would submit that there are some issues, some theology, some bad doctrines out there that have no scriptural support at all, okay? Uh, people just make it up as they go, and they, they may hold the Bible in their hand and never even reference it. There's other issues where people may loosely base a doctrine or belief system off of one obscure verse somewhere, and they rip it out of context and, and build a theology around it. And other times, it uh, is formed off of several verses from the Bible that seem to point to a certain direction, but ultimately they contradict the truth of Scripture. And that's what we have here. 
This is one of those cases. And there is a difference here. Because we can't accuse them of not basing their belief off the Bible. Only their belief on a lack of context and a lack of understanding of the big picture and the overwhelming truth that the Bible proclaims. Now, it doesn't mean that it's still not unfortunate. It's a very big mistake. It results in a major misunderstanding of Scripture, but at least on some level there is a desire to base their beliefs off of Scripture and to stand behind those beliefs. So in setting the stage for this answer that we're going to be looking at tonight, I do have a few important notes to go over, a few things regarding the word baptism itself, to start with that. Now, as many of you are aware, the New Testament was written in Greek, specifically Koine Greek, the language of the day. And the word baptism, many of you know, some don't, is a transliteration of a Greek word. Now, it's a big fancy word, but it simply means it's not a translation. There's a difference between a translation and a transliteration. Now, I, I put some stuff in your notes, not to impress you, but just to give you an idea of what we're talking about here, okay? Um, for instance, the w- Greek word chi would be transliterated, a letter-by-letter transliteration to K-A-I in English. But a translation would produce the English word and. Chi means and. Uh, in the same way, basileon to theu is transliterated as uh, the English equivalent there in your text. But the translation that appears in our English Bible is kingdom of God. So basileon means kingdom. Uh, to theu is a translation of God. So there's a difference between translating something, blanco in Spanish is white, and transliteration where they took this Greek word baptizo that I have in your text and they just substituted each Greek letter for an English equivalent. Okay, so beta is B and alpha is A and, and P and tau and iota and on down the line until we have this English word that they created called baptize. And it's a complicated story as to why the King James translators chose to do this. But nevertheless, this is how we got our word baptized. And if they were doing a straight-up translation of it, it would be translated something like to immerse, to dip, to plunge, even, even sometimes to overwhelm. Okay? So quite literally, every time you see baptism in the text, it can just as easily be substituted with immerse. Uh, Now, I tell you all this because I want to make this point. Every time you see the English word baptize, it does not always mean a water baptism. Okay? Does not mean water baptism every since. Let me give you a couple of examples. For instance, in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, John the Baptist says, I baptized you with water. But he, referring to Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now see, this is a great example because the word is used two different times in the same verse for two different types of baptism. One, the traditional, what we would expect to see a Christian water baptism. The other, referring to the spirit baptism that's offered through Christ and his resurrection of the Holy Spirit. Now, it is also important to know that this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this immersion all in of the Holy Spirit is what we all receive, every one of us as Christians at the time of salvation. All right? Let me give you another example. 1 Corinthians 10, 
Verse 2, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Okay? Now here clearly the word baptized is not referring to a Christian water baptism in response to salvation. Here this word baptized is used in the immersive sense. It's, it's the experience that they had that united them together crossing the Red Sea and, and under Moses following the cloud. Okay? Those are just two examples to set the stage. So when you're reading through your Bible and you encounter the word baptized, just remember that it doesn't always mean water baptism. So let's go ahead and look back at these so-called proof texts that we looked at initially and start to unpack them a little bit. And again, refer back to your handout, Mark 16, 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. All right, so this argument only works without context, okay? And it's funny because we're not even having to go anywhere else to find context. We just need to go to the end of the verse. If you just keep reading to the end of this verse, it gives you all the context you need to properly interpret. So if you read the whole verse, it's actually the absence of belief that is the only thing that condemns. Do you see that? So it's, it's ironic because this verse actually proves what we're trying to say tonight. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he, it's only he who disbelieved shall be condemned. See, those that try to use this verse as a proof text they try to say baptism is necessary for salvation. They're, they're making a comic flaw in uh, logical argument. It's called the negative inference fallacy, meaning that if a statement is true, okay, one statement is true, it does not mean that the opposite or the negation of that statement is also true. Let me give you a simple example. All right, kids, listen up. So if I say that a dog with brown spots is an animal, that's true. Okay? A dog with brown spots is an animal. But the opposite doesn't necessarily follow. If I said a dog with no spots is not an animal, it doesn't make sense, right? That's what's going on here. Let me give you another example uh, for you math guys. Uh, Matthew, a square is, in fact, a rectangle. It has four sides. It's a rectangle. But you can't automatically say that all rectangles are squares, correct? Or what about this? If I said that um, whoever believes and lives in Arkansas will be saved, but those who do not believe will be condemned. Okay? So strictly speaking, the statement is correct, right? Whoever believes in Arkansas will be saved. But it doesn't say that Whoever believes in Kansas won't be saved, or Texas won't be saved. It's negative inference fallacy, all right? And that's what's going on here in this verse. Jesus is not saying, he would have to go on and see a third condition. He would have to say, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved and has not been baptized is condemned. So right off the bat to set the stage, I want you to hear this for the rest of the night and use this as a hermeneutic when you study your Bible, you will never find this statement in the Bible that says, whoever does not get baptized will not be saved. 
If anybody finds it, you can come talk to me. But you will never find that statement. All right, Acts 2.38. Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, here it's a case where grammar and syntax make all the difference. Uh, Repent goes with the phrase, for the forgiveness of your sins. And again, I'm not trying to bore you with Greek tonight. I'll go to it very deep, but this is a first-year Greek problem. That repent is a second-person plural imperative. It's plural. It's connecting over with the phrase, uh, the forgiveness in your sins, which is another plural Same going on with be baptized. It's a singular third-person imperative that properly matches up with each one of you. They're both singular. So it's best to look at this phrase as a parenthetical statement. Um, When you you look at this, it's, it's as if saying, Peter said to them, repent for the forgiveness of sins, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's one simple way of explaining that. The other, if you want to get a little deeper, is uh, this, this word preposition, ice. Ice has some movement in the way it's translated. It's often translated for, but it, in other cases, it's, it's translated on the basis of or because of, as in Matthew 3.11 and 12.41, Luke 32. And so you can easily, easily see a translation here that for is from the Greek word ice, and it would be because of the forgiveness of sins or on the basis of the forgiveness of sins. Very easy to pick apart. Next, 1 Peter 3.19, we ask, what kind of baptism now saves you? Now, this, again, is not talking about water baptism here. It's actually clarified in this statement because he goes out of his way to say that baptism now saves you, but he says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. So he's not talking about, like, bathing, immersing in water. But it's an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this is, again, referring to that spiritual baptism in Christ that we receive at salvation. Um, This spiritual baptism into the death and resurrection of Christ, of those who appeal to God by placing them into the spiritual ark of salvation. For us, it's the ark of Christ. Remember that uh, Romans 6, 3 and 4, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Okay? Uh, Let's look at this next one, Acts 22, 16. Again, it's sentence structure, where it says, Wash away your sins. This phrase is is connected with calling on his name. In the Greek, this word calling has no antecedent without this phrase, wash away your sins. So it's not that baptism is connected with washing away your sins, but it's get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And again, if these were the only four verses we had, maybe a little bit more difficult, but the relatively few numbers of verses that make it a little fuzzy as to what to believe about baptism become very, very clear when you're bumping it up into the vast number of texts that prove the opposite. 
Let me ask you a few questions as we move on, just, just to ponder. Um, are we saved by water or are we saved by the blood of Christ? Is your faith in Christ and Him alone or is your faith in baptism? Okay, how about this? This is a, a big one. Are there any records at all of the apostles outside of Paul? He was in a special category we look at in a minute. Any record of the apostles being baptized in Scripture? There's not. Now you would think that if it was so vital for our salvation that you'd have at least one of the apostles getting baptized. Now I'm sure they were. It was a command of the Lord and they were faithful, obedient servants of the Lord. But the Holy Spirit, inspiring the Word of God, chose it not to be necessary to include in our canon. Consider these thoughts about Paul. Paul never made baptism any part, I mean water baptism, any part of his gospel presentations. Again, don't you think that it would be an essential part of his presentation? I mean, this is one of the world's greatest missionaries and water baptism just wasn't an essential part of his presentations. I have a reference here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 17. And I'm not going to read all those, but they're there for you. I'm going to skip down to verse 17. Because he's dealing with some contention in the church and people drawing up sides. And he's, he's saying, look, I'm glad I didn't baptize you, some of you guys. Because I don't want you saying I'm of Paul and, and, and further dividing the church. I only, I only baptized a couple of you guys. And then listen to what he says. 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Provocative question, right? Because if Paul here, seemingly downplaying the importance of baptism... When, when, when we're talking about tiers of importance, he, he's not placed on the same tier of importance as a saving faith and belief. Baptism is secondary to that. So much so that he says, look, I didn't even come to baptize, I came to preach the gospel. You would think, again, this greatest missionary going out and, and taking the gospel to the world would be baptizing multitudes of people if it was absolutely necessary for salvation. But he didn't. In Acts 10, I have this written in your notes too, Peter is describing salvation coming to a group of Gentiles. Okay, And it's a very transitional part of the early church. And there in chapter 10, verse 47, Peter says, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized, quote, who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So the question is, he's asking, can we refuse the water for these to be baptized who have already received the Holy Spirit? Can one receive the Holy Spirit without being saved? I don't think so. I think the Bible is very clear about that.
One of my favorite go-to passages, I think many of you would do the same thing, is the passage concerning the thief on the cross. Jesus there hanging on the cross of Calvary between two criminals. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 23, verse 42. And he was saying, this is the criminal next to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. All right, so the the easy question to ask is, this criminal hanging on the cross, dying, did, did not have the opportunity to be baptized. And yet here we have Jesus himself saying that, Today, he would be with him in paradise. He, he credited him righteousness and forgave him based off of his faith alone, not the act of baptism. Right? Now, I will say that some that are very uh, hard line on this, they do grasp at straws, and they will try to reason their way out of this. Uh, and, and follow me here. They, they offer this idea that, well, he's hanging there on the cross, and uh, Jesus had not yet died, so therefore he's still under the old covenant. Uh, but I have a couple problems with that, because one, this is a criminal, a self-professed criminal. You see him in other parts of the scripture saying, look, we deserve what we got. That would be guilty of his sin, and after this trusting in Jesus, had no opportunity to go to the temple and and make atonement for his sins under the Old Covenant. So I I don't understand how Jesus would, based on the Old Covenant, tell him that he'd be in paradise with him. Secondly, uh, if you look at the verse in John 19, what you'll see is actually Jesus did die before this, this criminal. John 19, verse 31, Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross until Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, as Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Verse 32, So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him, but coming to Jesus when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So seemingly Jesus had already died, making atonement for sin. So why would this thief be able to go to paradise without being baptized? The answer is simply that he was justified by faith, not baptism. So as I, answer, or as I mentioned before, the key to understanding Scripture is proper context and proper understanding and looking at the big picture and making sure that we are interpreting every single verse we come across in its proper context. Now that not only means the context of the verses surrounding it, the paragraph, the chapter, the book, the author, the historical context, all sorts of contexts. But most importantly, the context of Scripture, the whole canon, the truth of Scripture. It's, it's called in these studies the analogy of Scripture, coming from the Latin analogy of Scriptura. And it's based off an understanding that because the Holy Spirit has inspired the Word of God, It means that the entire Word of God, verse by verse, beginning to end, is perfect and inerrant. And there's no contradictions found in there. So what you do is you have to take truth from one place that's easy to understand, and you take the overarching and overwhelming evidence of Scripture, and you help that to inform and interpret those sometimes hard passages. 
When you come to a verse that just doesn't seem to line up with the, the mountain of verses you've read before, then something's wrong. Because there's no contradiction in Scripture. It's either a misunderstanding on our part or some type of misinterpretation. Okay? There is an overall truth of Scripture, and it, it, it screams this idea of salvation by faith alone. So what I want to do the rest of the time here is just read through some of these many, many texts that make it very clear that salvation is based on faith alone. We start with the, the uh, fundamental question of the Philippian jailer. Now, I titled this sermon, What Must I Do to Be Baptized? It's a little tongue-in-cheek because that's not the question that's, an- that's asked. And it's not the most important question to be asked. It's what must I do to be saved? And we find that in Acts chapter 16, verse 30. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And their response is very, very important. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. does not say believe and be baptized. It doesn't say believe and do this or that. It says believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Again, not to be patronizing, but he didn't ask, what must I do to be baptized? He probably didn't even know what it was. It was simply belief in Jesus. Next, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Very familiar to us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is from God. We are saved through faith. It doesn't say faith plus baptism. In fact, it says no works, period. If baptism saved us in any way, then we'd have something to boast about. Even if it was simply pointing back to that physical act of baptism to secure our salvation, it would be a work of righteousness, something that we could point to that we've done. Romans chapter 3, verse 27 um, says, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 11. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You see how this is so helpful in illustrating how our salvation is all of grace. It's either all or nothing. It's one way or the other. Even if one work is required to be saved, then it's work-based. Galatians 2, 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for, it is, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. He's done it all on the cross. He paid it all. We don't have to add any work to his finished work on the cross. Next, we have Luke chapter 7, verse 50. And this is a lot of scripture, but it's there. I just want you to feel the weight, the overwhelming weight of what God is telling us. Here Jesus has just healed this woman, and he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. No mention of baptism. Romans 10, 9, this is a good one. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
No other conditions. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No mention of baptism. 2 Corinthians 7, 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. Okay, This repentance leads to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Goes on and on. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. It's about belief. John 6, 40, and then verse 47. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has, present tense, eternal life. And then one of the beloved passages of Scripture, John 3.16, starting verse early in 15. So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Again, another time where it's only unbelief that condemns you. It's not a lack of baptism. So let's be clear again. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say an unbaptized believer will not be saved. And you'll never hear the words, quote, cannot be saved without baptism. The overwhelming message of Scripture proclaims that the truth of salvation is repentance and faith alone. Right? Well, there's another lesson here, but um, and that's talking about what baptism actually does. I won't be able to explore that tonight, but I will give you the, the short and sweet of it. And that is, baptism is an outward display to the world. It's a testimony. It's a witness of what God has already done in a very personal and spiritual matter. Recreation from the inside out of the Holy Spirit. And through that picture of the death and burial of our old life, just like Jesus was had died on the cross and was buried. And then we are created as new, create, new creatures in Christ. And Jesus, in that picture of resurrection, is the first fruits of the resurrection, leading the way that we follow. It's a beautiful picture of what has already happened in our life. 
and only a believer, one that has his eternal security settled, should be a candidate for baptism. It's a very serious and solemn but very joyful um, first step in obedience. Very important first step. Salvation and baptism should absolutely go hand in hand. They're right there together. They're a perfect match, like peanut butter and jelly. But there is a difference. One follows the other. It's the first real act of obedience. And, and I would say that it's such a, an important step of obedience that one would be hard-pressed to do any other step, take any other step without that first real step of obedience. And so we do want to affirm that baptism is necessary. Baptism is commanded in this life, but it's not for salvation. It's because of salvation. We also have the Lord's instruction to the church found in the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's important to note that they're already disciples. Make disciples and baptize them. Teach them. Jesus himself gave an example to follow, even in his life, of how important baptism is. And Jesus submitted himself for baptism, right? But it wasn't for the remission of sins. Jesus was perfect. He didn't get baptized to be saved. He was given us an example to follow. So what's at stake here? What's at stake here? Is it wrong to make baptism a condition of salvation? Maybe you might say, well, what does it hurt? Does it Does it really matter? I mean, wouldn't it be safer for them to go ahead and be baptized than to not be, and then their eternity is at stake? Well, what I'm saying is it's very, very important what we believe about salvation, okay? Specifically, what saves us. That's so important because it's so important that it cuts to the heart of the gospel, There's a very slippery slope here because just as we know that it only takes one sin to separate us from God, right? One sin and we would be eternally separated from God apart from Christ. Well, the same type of scenario is going on here because we know that there is no room for pride and there's no room for self-righteousness in the gospel. And so how much of our salvation do we believe is, is based on our actions at all? Is there anything that's based on our works or based on our action that contributes to salvation? And that's the key. That's the gospel. I'll tell you that it should be completely dependent, utterly dependent, hopelessly dependent on the finished work of Christ on the cross. We we should be humbled in the fact that there is nothing we can do, that Jesus paid it all, He offers the gift of salvation, not because of who we are or what we've done or what baptism we've done, but in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done, by his grace, that simple act of faith and trusting in him like the Bible commands. So my prayer, of course, is that you all understand this truth today. I really hope that everyone in this room has placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Okay? 
And um, if you're not sure, if you don't quite get it, if you're not understanding what I'm talking about, let's talk about it after the service. The invitation is open. But, but don't get it wrong because eternity is based off of what we understand about who Christ is, who we are, what he offers, the atonement he provides, and how all of our works, all of our works, are nothing but filthy rags to him. It's Christ's righteousness that is exchanged fully for our life. He's paid the death penalty that we deserve because of our sin, and we must accept it in faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day, and thank you for the study. I pray that as we've looked at this difficult uh, set of passages, that your message should ring clear to us. You have made it so abundantly clear in your word that it's, it's, it's hard to miss. Yes, sometimes we can get tripped up on a few hard-to-interpret passages, but that's why you, you haven't left this important matter in isolation. And we're so thankful that it is not up to us. There's no, no decision we make about where to go, where we live, what church we join, what denomination what type of baptism we have. No work, no act saves us, but the finished work of Christ on the cross. And we just thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for calling us, convicting us of our sin, helping us to understand our need of Christ. We pray that you will continue to do so as we wait for your return. Use us to spread that good news of faith and grace alone in you alone. May that give us confidence, not only in our salvation, in our place, in our position in Christ, but also confidence when we go out and share the good news with people, knowing that no matter where they come from, what background that they find themselves in, that your grace is sufficient. So we just thank you in advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, there.